Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Nation. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 96. This episode's being recorded the day before the election. You'll hear it the day after the election. If Trump won, and I assume he wins, then America will be burning across the country. If Biden won, in two months we'll begin to experience a tyranny we could never have imagined in America. Either way, it's done now and out of our control. All we can do is pray for our nation and ourselves. So now it's time to get back to all things Catholic. It's time to become Christ's army again. Souls need us. This is a very special episode of the Cantankerous Catholic. We not only have a tremendous interview with Father Robert Altier to help put our Catholic lives into perspective, but there's also a very special Catholic boot camp segment that I strongly urge you to listen to. It will, hopefully, cause you to look deeply into your own soul to examine just exactly where you stand with God and your chances to win heaven. The last time Father Robert Altier was on The Cantankerous Catholic, that episode became the most downloaded episode ever. This interview was actually recorded two weeks before the previous interview we aired. I'd originally planned to split this interview into two separate episodes, but the content of our discussion flowed so well that I didn't want to break the consistency by splitting the interview. I think you're going to love this. What did Billy D. Williams... The celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross. Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity. How the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. In this interview with Father Altier, we talk about his journey to the priesthood, discuss whether Catholics really even believe in God anymore, discuss our bishop's response to the China virus, and talk about a very controversial homily he gave about the virus that went viral on YouTube. Let's listen. Okay, Six Packers, this promises to be yet another tremendous interview with an amazing priest of the living God, Father Robert Altier. Father Altier was ordained to the priesthood in 1989 at the Cathedral of St. Paul in St. Paul, Minnesota. He served for three years as an associate pastor at the Church of St. Raphael in Crystal, and he served as the associate pastor at the Church of St. Agnes in St. Paul for 14 years. He served the church as a chaplain at the Regina Medical Center in Hastings, Minnesota. Father Altier has lectured throughout the Twin Cities and is best known for his series, The Fundamentals of Catholicism, and for his devotion to the Eucharist and the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
He also has a weekly column in the Wander Catholic newspaper. Finally, he did a series on EWTN, Beauty, Truth, and Goodness of Our Catholic Faith. He's currently at the Church of St. Raphael in Crystal, Minnesota, as an associate pastor. Father, welcome to the Cantankerous Catholic. Well, thanks, Joe. Great to be here with you. <laughs> We're, we've been looking forward to this. My listeners just absolutely adore you, and so they're going to uh, really going to enjoy this interview. Father, the first thing the Six-Pack Nation always wants to know about a particular priest is his journey to the priesthood. Do you mind telling us how God led you to your vocation? Uh, how much do you want to know? As much as you want to tell. Father, if you've got an hour, I've got 13 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it, uh, I guess my, my desire, put it that way, uh, and my prayer was to be married and, and have a large family. And, uh, and that's what I would keep praying for. And, and God was very gracious. He sent most wonderful ladies along that all wanted big families and had the ability to, to do what needs to be done with a big family. And it just would never work. I mean, on paper, it looked like it was great and just would never work out. And, and I remember, I had looked at the possibility of priesthood. It would come up, but I just kept saying, no, 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 I want to be married. And and finally, uh, when I was 23, uh, I guess maybe 22, I, I had broken up again with another girl and went back to prayer and said, well, Lord, you know, kind of send a, another woman here. And he just very clearly, you know, just stopped me right in my tracks and turned I heard, I'm calling you to be a priest. And uh, it's like, oh. Oh, okay. Uh, and so after that, I, I went and, and applied at the seminary and uh, and got in. I you know, still had a couple of years of college left at that point and finished up at St. Thomas in St. Paul and then went to the seminary. Uh, I can also tell you, uh, for those who might wish, you know, that God had made things so clear for them, uh, one of the things I have learned over the years and have told to a number of people that the clearer God makes it, the more you're going to suffer. And that's the reason <laughs> he made it so clear, because otherwise you would assume naturally that this must not be God's will. Yeah, this is so miserable. He clearly doesn't want me to do this, but he makes it so clear that you, in the midst of the, of the suffering, you still continue on because you know that this is what he wants. So... So that's that's how it all worked, and uh, and and it's uh, it's been such a such a blessing. I, and I, you know, as much as I, I love married life and and children, um, I wouldn't trade in the priesthood for anything. It has just been the greatest blessing in the world. You know, I'm amazed, Father, that the beginning of your journey and that of Father James Altman are so closely paralleled. Oh, really? I haven't heard his story. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, uh, we've run an interview with him on the podcast, and he said that uh, uh, he always wanted a wife and eleven children. <laughs> I was so, I was aiming for twelve, so, so yeah, we're very similar. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great, and also the uh, uh, you know I've been a lay evangelist uh, for my entire time as Catholic, 32 years, and the priest who first put the bug in my ear, 
I, I kept trying to tell him, no, I don't want to do this. I want to live my newfound faith in peace and quiet, left alone, anonymity. And he just insisted until I finally caved in. And to this day, I don't want to teach a word of catechism. I don't want to evangelize. I don't want to do anything I'm supposed to do. And yet, as far as evangelization is concerned, uh, and yet the only time I'm completely happy is when I'm doing exactly that. God makes it very painful for me when I don't. <laughs> and, and at the same time, he makes it fulfilled when you do. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's, that's the amazing thing. It's like, okay, you know, this, I mean, I, when I was at the seminary, you have to realize, of course, you know, for you, it's 32 years. Well, 32 years ago, I was in the seminary. I've been a priest 30 years now. Well, going on, you know, just about 30 and a half, I guess. And, uh, and so I was in the seminary at that time, and it was one of the worst seminaries in the nation. Not that there were, uh, there were, there were about two good ones in the nation. The <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and it was it was horrible. I mean, to this day, I will say it's the worst six years of my life. Uh, and understand, I've been silenced twice. I have been. They've tried to remove me from the priesthood twice, and uh, and they tried to remove me from the diocese once. And so so the thirty years, it's not like I've been sitting back with my feet up enjoying things. But I would rather go through that any day than go back to the six years in the seminary. It was it was horrible. That bad. And it was that bad. It was it was it was yeah, and it was bad. Uh and, and there are there are some some guys uh you know that, that went through seminary at that time that had uh, that have uh, PTSD. Um wow. bad. And and so anyway, in the midst of that, as horrible as it was, every single day I was more and more convinced that this is what God wants. And I knew that it didn't matter what happened. Uh, and, so, and, and, you know, God's going to do things. He's going to test you. They threw me out of the seminary. And, uh, and, and the archbishop who was in charge at that time had never once accepted an appeal of a seminarian. And yet he accepted mine for some odd reason, put me right back in the same place. And, <laughs> but, but it was, you know, it was that matter of looking at it and saying, the Lord told me what he wants me to do. And as long as I don't do something stupid, you know, I, I can't think I can jump off a bridge and do an oncoming train and, and still, you know, live through it and be a priest. But there was nothing anybody else could do to stop because the Lord made what he wanted. And so, so I, I just had that total confidence. This is what God's will is. And this is what's going to happen. And it doesn't matter how miserable it is. I know this is going to be. So anyway, all that to tell your listener, your listeners, if if God didn't make your vocation absolutely clear, rejoice. <laughs> and if He did make it absolutely clear, understand that you're going to have to suffer that much. Father, I think that's an amazing testimony to God's grace and love. I really do. He's so merciful and so good. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, what a blessing, and then to give us His mom on top of it, you know. So. <laughs> Yeah. We've got it all. Yeah, we sure do. Uh, I, I was listening to one of your homilies today talking about uh, uh, how things, well, we'll, we'll kind of get into it. I have a few other questions based on what I've heard in your homilies on YouTube. If it's all right with you, I'd like to get to those. Sure. Okay. 
Uh, I listened to one of your homilies about trusting in God. Uh, I contend that most people, including Christians, both Catholic and Protestant, really don't believe in God anymore because evolution has been taught as a fact rather than a theory for decades in primary, secondary, and post-secondary schools, sadly all too often Catholic. My question then is two-part. Would you agree that this is an accurate assessment of mine? Uh, and if so, would you agree that the only way we can regain credibility in modern society and culture is for Catholics to learn how to prove the existence of God? In essence, yes. Uh, I, I think you know, we have to make a distinction. You know, what, one of the things that we hear all the time from a lot of these people who have walked away from the church, well, I still believe in God. It's like, well, that's nice. You know, St. James says that Satan believes in God and, and you know, the demons believe and they tremble. So I mean, it's not exactly, you know, the greatest thing in the world, but at least it's a foundation. You believe in God. But where do we go from there? And, and so, so it's not so much in, in your question about whether or not God exists. It's really a question of is God the creator? And, and so, so did everything just evolve or did God create? And, you know, when we look at scripture and we say, but scripture is inerrant and here's what it says right on the first pages of scripture. And, and, you know, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And, and so, so we do, as you point out, we, we have to understand not just some generic sort of thing that, well, yeah, I suppose God exists, but it's like, no, how do we, how do we look at that? I mean, there's, there's a point where we just accept it on faith, but there is a point that we can argue to the existence of God. Even there's a whole branch called natural theology that, that just looks at the things of nature and argues to the existence of God based on what he has created. So there are a number of ways, you know, certainly we can look at scripture, we can look at natural theology, we can look at, you know, all these different different facets of things, but we do need to be able to go beyond our feelings, and we have to be able to think and reason and be able to show that, yes, this is the case. But one of the things that... Huh, and, and like you said, we might talk about this a little later, but I'll tell you what, I've, I've preached about this on a number of occasions, that people don't know how to think. No, uh, they, they don't. You're right. They taught how not to think. Well, I can tell you from the last two weeks, not only do we not think, but it is hatred. The anger and the hatred and just, it is, it is unbelievable, the, the stuff. And, and when, when one person, I've, I've, hardly responded to any of these things, but but one person wrote and said something about it's it's all just opinion until you give me some documentation, which then I sent him documentation and uh, and he just wrote back with some snide comment and it's like, okay, you don't want the truth. All you want to do is is just scream. And <laughs> and so so that's the problem. We have to be about changing hearts because we can't be just about changing minds. That's the old saying is that for those with faith, no proof is necessary. For those without faith, no proof is sufficient. And so if we're going to just simply try to prove the existence of God, unless you have somebody who already has a heart that's open to the truth and a mind that's open to the truth, it isn't going to make any difference. But if somebody is, is open and willing, then yes, then, then we have that opportunity. So so, but it's primarily to live the 
life of a Christian, uh, to, to, to take what we believe and put it into practice in our day-to-day life, that's what's going to touch the hearts of people. And every study that's been done has demonstrated that the vast majority of people who are converts to the faith converted because of the example of somebody. There are some intellectual converts, you know, that, that were reading the Fathers of the Church or something, but most, it's by the example of a Catholic. That's and true. So, so we have to know what we believe, and we have to live it, and because and, otherwise we look like a bunch of hypocrites and nobody's going to believe us anyway. That's very so. true. Over the last 32 years, probably... I would, if I had to guesstimate, it would be about 30% of the converts that God sent my way were atheists whenever I started with them. And in every case, uh, with a convert, they always tell me, Hey, I want to become a Catholic at one of three points. For these young people who are atheistic, it's the first article of the creed because I usually get them by me, uh, meeting a challenge saying, I can prove God exists. Can you prove he doesn't? So with the first article of the creed and then the ninth article of the creed, I believe in the Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And then whenever I talk about the real presence, those are the three points where people usually convert. But I do webinars every Sunday night. Uh, called Sharing the Catholic Faith, and I get people from all over the world uh, coming to these webinars. And this past week, we just uh, had our second lesson, and it was, guess what? The existence and nature of God. So I gave three proofs for the existence of God. But the way I, I, you know, I explained to them before I started, say, look, if you ask, well, Catholics need to know how to prove that God exists because this atheistic culture doesn't, we don't have any credibility with them. We don't live the faith because we don't know it. And we have to be able to, you know, we're, we're saying we believe in God, but we have to be able to show them. And otherwise we have no credibility. I tell them, hey, look, if you ask a small child if he believes in Santa Claus, he says yes. If you ask him why, he gives you evidence as to why he believes. He knows that whenever he goes to bed on Christmas Eve, there's nothing under the tree. Whenever he gets up Christmas morning, there's lots of stuff under the tree. And mommy and daddy, who are never going to fib to him, tell him that Santa Claus brought it. So he has all the evidence in the world to believe in Santa Claus. But if you ask a Christian, Protestant or Catholic, why do you believe in God? They always get one of two lame answers. They either say, uh, because the Bible says so. Okay, I've seen books that say dragons exist. That doesn't make it so. Right. And the other lame answer they give is, well, I just feel it. Well, I feel that gravity doesn't work, but that doesn't make it true. Exactly. And, and even to say what the Bible says, well, that has to assume that the Bible is divinely inspired before you look at it that way. Yes. It's like you said, a book can say just about anything. That doesn't make it true. There are three things that I believe all Catholics should absolutely have to be able to prove if they're going to share the faith with anybody. One is the existence of God. 
And of course, as you mentioned, natural theology, I call it natural law in my webinars. And they have to be able to prove that Jesus Christ established the Catholic Church, which is so easy to do. And you have to be able to prove that the Bible is inspired. Right. You know, so because otherwise we have no credibility with the modern society and culture. And because everything has to be scientific these days. Yes. And I keep explaining to them, no, there's no empirical evidence that God exists yet. But empirical evidence is just that evidence. It's not proof of anything. You add all of your evidence to the body of evidence and draw a conclusion. And I tell them that every scientific bit of knowledge that we have in history began with the use of logic and right reason. The uh, DNA, scientists knew 20 years before they had the first bit of empirical evidence that DNA existed, and yet the only thing they had was logic and reason. So, anyway, I'm sorry, Father, I didn't get off on that. It took over my own interview. (laughs) We're made in the image and likeness of God. We're made for the truth, and we're made for love. And and so the the mind is made for truth, and the the heart is made for for love. And it can't just be about about just the feelings and, and, and the heart. You know, especially, it needs to be about true charity, which is a virtue, but the truth with charity. Because God is truth. Absolutely. And I would like to add and see if you agree with me. What currently passes for charity uh, among Catholics is not real charity. Jesus called men liars and hypocrites and white painted sepulchers full of dead men's bones. He drove people out of the temple with a, uh, a whip. Now, I call that genuine charity. Why? Because he was concerned for their souls and he gave their souls exactly what they needed, whether they accepted it or not. Exactly. So you would agree then that uh, nice Catholicism doesn't work. Well, we've got this idea that we have to be nicer than Jesus. (laughs) Charity is doing what's best for the other. And and so you know we look at at the the corporal works of mercy I and mean, to to admonish the sinner and and to to instruct the ignorant and so on that's charity you know to to try and to say oh we just have to accept anything and everything and we have to be tolerant well we have to be we have to be charitable yes we have to be kind and we don't want to be mean and nasty and so on but at the same time like I said I mean Jesus called people you know for for what they were and and continues to do so. When we stand before him for judgment, he's not going to say, well, it was okay for you to think that these things that are wrong were okay. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah, and, and so so he's going to be the judge. And, and, you know, we have to make judgments about actions. We have to make judgments about statements. We can't judge the person. We don't know what's in their heart, but we can certainly judge what they say and what they do. And we have to. Yeah, I tell people I can't judge souls that's above my pay grade, but I can be a fruit inspector. Right. And I'm I'm so glad you said the things you said here, Father, because 
I've been telling Six Pack Nation the very same things over and over again for a long time, but it's one thing coming from me. I'm just a dumb layman. It's quite another thing coming from a priest of the living God, and I really appreciate you doing that. Well, I'll tell you what, the things that are coming, it's going to be the lay people that are going to be the, the ones that are critical. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously we need priests, but but it's it's the, the, the priests have not done what they should be doing. It's going to be the laity that are going to save the church. So so don't don't downplay the importance of what you're doing. Well, <laughs> so Archbishop Fulton Sheen, he certainly prophesied that, didn't he? He did. Okay. Father, I have another question. I also listened to your homily on the consequences of this China virus thing not being normal. Father Altman has talked a great deal about this as well. Do you agree with him that our nation's bishops reacted wrongly to this lockdown by submitting to government authority by curtailing the mass? Absolutely. Uh, what we need the most is prayer, but it goes right back to your previous question. Do we really believe in God? And why would we not turn to God, you know, as people have done throughout history when there are, uh, when, when there are epidemics and, 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 uh, plagues and, and so on, they turn to God in prayer. And instead now we turn to science and we say, well, we need to lock everything down until we, have a vaccine or until we can figure everything out. And it's like, no, let's, you know, I mean, if people are, are truly dying, okay, we need to be careful here, but people need to pray. And I know dioceses that the, literally the bishop told the priest, you will lock the church and you cannot open it for anything. So people couldn't even come to pray, let alone have mass. And what is more important than the holy sacrifice of the mass. Amen. What's more powerful in the universe than the holy sacrifice of the mass? Amen. And we took it away from the people, and this is the first time in history that all the churches have been closed. And and you know, quite honestly, and I've said this in homilies before, so and I've said it on the radio, that I believe this is the consequence of Pachamama thing. Uh, but regardless of that, yes. Do I agree that that this is the wrong way to deal with it? Absolutely. Thank you for that, Father. And some of the things you said in your answer are actually in my next question. You took a lot of heat in the media for your homily about the China virus, its origin, and lies the American people have been told. Critics called you a conspiracy theorist. I even read where one critic just out and out called you a nut. Personally, I think that guy's a, just another anti-Catholic booger-eating moron because you're anything but nuts. I have the greatest respect and admiration for you as a priest. I've had the feeling from the very beginning that this whole pandemic thing it was sinister. After all, as bad as the pandemic of 1918 was, it was, and it was far worse than this one, America didn't stop in its tracks. Rather than curtailing Holy Mass, bishops actually increased them. Despite knowing that crowding together was the quickest way to get Spanish flu, Catholics turned out in record numbers for Mass to beg God for deliverance. Of course, we actually believed in and worshipped God in those days, rather than worshipping our bodies and health. Now, I'm not a great researcher, but I can usually find what I'm looking for. You told your parishioners to look up what you were telling them. 
whether any of them did, I don't know, but I took the challenge. Father, I never found anything about the virus originating in North Carolina, nothing like you talked about on the Rockefeller Foundation website, and nothing about a United Nations meeting with multinational corporations. How do you explain that? Well, in part, it's because a lot of things were taken down. So let's start with the last one. If you look, uh, I don't know exactly, but you can look up Event 201. That was the United Nations. It's a tabletop discussion kind of thing, but it was it was their uh, it, it was their uh, simulation of an international coronavirus pandemic. It was from October of 2019, uh, and and so that was out at the United Nations. And in that, uh, and I had mentioned this in the homily, one of the things that they said is that they wanted to flood the zone. I had never heard that other than football. Uh, and But what it means is we want to get our message out and we have to silence everybody else. And so you'll notice that the doctors who have come out uh, saying things, they're all removed from Facebook, from YouTube, from all the social media things. The, the, the scientists who've said anything different, they are taken down immediately. Uh, anybody who puts out anything other than what they want they take it down, and and so some of the things have been removed. The the pieces that were on the the Rockefeller website, I'm assuming that they probably pulled those down once people found them and, and started spreading them around. Uh, so there was one from 2010, and it, I I've got the thing sitting here on my desk someplace, but it's under a pile, so I would <laughs> be able to tell you what the it's. But it's got about a three or four line long title. Uh, and in it, there are different scenarios that they that they give. And interestingly, they they present the scenarios in the perfect form. In other words, it, like it had already happened. And one of them was the lockdown scenario. And and they and it just went through exactly what they've done, and then talked about how even after uh, everything passes, that they will continue to push wearing. Not that they will, con- that they did continue. Uh, people continue to have to wear masks and to be have their temperature taken, even to go into grocery stores and so on. That's all right there in that document. And then there was another document that came out uh, that was on their on their website. And again, I'm sure that they probably removed it, uh, but it went through point by point by point exactly. This was written previous, and so so it was what they were planning to do. And and at this point, it's it's what they have done and then continuing forward and I'm assuming that they that they pulled that down and and so so it it may not be so easy to find that unless it's buried in somebody else's stuff somewhere with the part about uh, about North Carolina I had I had seen that in a number of different places but you just kind of shrug your shoulders you know just because it's on the internet doesn't mean that it's true um, but then I was reading um, a, a military intelligence thing and and this this guy traced the whole thing. And back during the Obama administration, one of the positive things that they did was to outlaw what they called coronaviruses. That's what this is. It's it's both animal and human. So they took the virus from the bat, and then they they spliced a SARS virus in there uh, into that. And 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 so so that's what was outlawed. 
and this guy traced it. It went through, according to him, it went through four different uh, different places. Uh, I don't remember one. One was Australia, and then finally uh, went to uh, uh, went went to to China uh, and to to finish the work. And and so that's and I think okay, if this is on a military intelligence website, you know, I, I I think I can trust that, and so that's that's where I got that information from. Wow, that's that's pretty neat. I, you know, I personally, I haven't seen any evidence that you've seen. But first of all, because of your apparent veracity, and secondly, because of my own suspicions from the word go, I have a tendency to go along with at least most of what you've said about this. You were talking about the doctors being taken down, and I'm I'm aware of at least one of them that actually lost her job because she spoke out. Right. So and, and there's more than one. And it's I they the left is doing everything it can to just well, their cancel culture to shut us down at every turn. And I can tell you, again from the last two weeks of stuff, I have heard from now eight or nine different doctors um who have been positive about you know, what I said in the homily, and I've heard from a few doctors who were very negative about it, and I know of doctors who are still locked up. They, they, they re- they, they're they so afraid to come out because they're going to catch this thing, and, and so you've got doctors across the board. Not all of them are buying this thing, and some of them are buying it wholeheartedly, and, and so just like the public, even the doctors, the medical professionals, are across the board. There isn't, there clearly isn't agreement all the way along. Yeah, absolutely. That's and that has been a point of confusion for most Americans. Right. But I, understandably uh, so, I am in the high risk category: stroke, diabetes, got several conditions, mm-hmm. and so I'm in the uh, I'm in the high risk category, and. People have actually gotten angry with me because I'm not practicing any of this stuff. I won't wear a mask. I won't social distance. I won't elbow bump. And they want to know why. Why, Joe? Why do you do that? And I keep explaining to them, I'm not going to stay here one minute longer than God wants me to, and I'm not going to leave one second before he wants me to. And it doesn't matter if it's the coronavirus getting hit by a bus or Haley's Comet falling out of the sky and killing me. When it's my time to go, I'm going. Otherwise, I'm not. Unless, of course, I take my own life, which only a fool would do. Well, a, 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 a fool if he's mentally balanced. Right. But, you know, I just, I simply won't give in to this. It's, Father, I detest fear. I absolutely detest fear. There was a time in this country when we had real men and real women and not just uh, a bunch of cowards, and that's not so anymore. When I was in the military, we still had men in the world. (laughs) But the left has done everything to, to, you know, decimate us. Yeah, emasculate us, exactly. And, uh, uh, and I don't like that. I, you know, you talked about some of your, 
uh, hardships, I've actually, three times uh, in the last 32 years, I've actually had to face the probability, not the possibility, the probability of being murdered for witnessing to the Catholic faith. Now, the first time that happens, you're scared to death. But after that, you're saying, well, it's nothing but a thing. I've been here before. I'm not saying that I wish everybody had to face something like that, because I don't. It is scary, and, you know, it's a little hard to get out of your mind. But... Puts everything into context, though. Yes, it does. Puts everything into context, puts it all into perspective, and you realize that no matter what you do, it all depends on what God wants. Right. It has nothing to do with what you want. No, and obviously, again, you don't want to do something foolish or stupid and say, oh, well, you know, I can jump off this cliff and unless God wants to die, I'm not going to. It's like, you know, don't be stupid. But at the same time, you know, as long as you're striving to do his will, it's like, go ahead, threaten me all you want, you know, it's not going to work unless it's God's will anyway. Right. And if it is, it's to my benefit in the long run right. anyway. Right. So I mean, if you're a martyr, you go straight to heaven. There's no stop at purgatory. So that's, uh, that'd be a great blessing. And you know, people are terrified now, and I don't understand why. Also, people are upset about what's going on in the church, both in America and around the world. And I don't understand that either. We've read the book. We know how it ends, and for one, I think we should be absolutely giddy and excited because, and it's all for our benefit. Exactly. Our lady's work has has begun, and we know she's going to crush the head of the vile creature, and and the time is upon us. And So yes, on one hand, it's pretty sad the church is going to be crucified. We know that. But the church is going to rise from the dead. So what I keep telling people is, look, the apostles 2,000 years ago had no understanding of what was of why Jesus was having to go to Jerusalem and, and, and be killed. They didn't get it. Okay, we do. We've got 2,000 years of saints. We've got 2,000 years of theology. We understand why it had to happen. We understand why there had to be a Judas. We understand why Jesus had to go through all these things. So now what we can do is take that, instead of looking back at Jesus, look at what's happening in church today, and apply the exact same thing. The church is the mystical Christ. She must be crucified at some point, and she will rise from the dead. Amen. Where we are at. And so if we can take our understanding of what happened 2,000 years ago and apply it to today, like I said, there's cause for rejoicing here. Absolutely, Father. Amen. The difference between you and me is that you can say things eloquently. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, well, I'm just a Joe Sixpack. <laughs> there you go. So. <laughs> so, Father, if you had one thing that you wanted, there are thousands of people listening to this podcast, and if there was one thing you wanted to say to the world right now, can you think of what it would be? The single most important thing is to stay faithful to Jesus. There is absolutely nothing more important than that. And and the easiest way to stay faithful to Jesus is to stay near to his mother. And, and again, remember, this is her time. 
we are going to see the single greatest event, unless you were alive 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, which there were very few people, all things considered, very few people that were there for that. This the whole world is going to see. We are the most blessed people in history. Amen. Because we are going to see the greatest event that has happened in 2,000 years that is going to be, the yes, the crucifixion of the church. It is going to be the resurrection of the church. It is going to be the Blessed Mother crushing the head of the vile serpent, the enemy of our souls. And so we have to have a life of prayer. We have to, while we can, get to the sacraments, make sure you're keeping yourself in the state of grace and praying. But in all things, no matter what, because there's going to be a schism, there is going to be apostasy, and people are going to be saying all kinds of things. One of the great blessings of being Catholic is everything is written down. So it's not my opinion versus your opinion. The truth is there. We have been given the fullness of the truth. Know it, read it, understand it, and and live it, and just stay faithful. As I keep telling people, I don't care what color cassock someone was wearing. If it's the black of a priest, if it's the the the, uh, the purple of a bishop, the red of a cardinal, or even the white of a pope. If anyone says something different from what Jesus said and from what the Church has taught for two thousand years, stay with Jesus. Remain faithful to Him. And our faith is not in human beings. Our faith is in the Lord. And and the best way to stay close to Him, like I said, stay close to Our Lady. Father, there's a thank. First of all, thank you for that. But there is seldom a week goes by that I don't have to convince somebody, usually through email, that no, the answer is not walking away from the church. Would you say that part of being faithful to Jesus is to continue to remain in his church? Absolutely. Our Lord told us that that the jaws of hell will not prevail against the church. And yet, there's a reason he said that. He didn't say the jaws of hell will stay a mile away. He said it won't prevail. So in other words, it's going to appear that it did prevail at some point, but it will not. He he made that promise. That is right from the mouth of Jesus. It cannot be otherwise. And and so there is only one church he founded, and we have to remain faithful in that church. And so even if there is an apostasy, which St. Paul tells us the day is going to come when it will happen, I think it'll happen in our day, but we'll see. And and even if that happens, stay faithful, because, again, we know what the truth is. We know that the Lord founded one church and promised he'd be with her all days till the end of the world, and has given the Holy Spirit to lead her into all truth. And so, yes, absolutely, there is, you know, St. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There is no place else to go. It, they don't have the fullness of truth, and we do. That's such a blessing. And why would we ever walk away from the fullness of the truth to have part of it? It just so are, are, is there corruption in the church? Absolutely. Has the church been infiltrated profoundly and deeply and uh, sadly to the to the heights? And and so yeah, there are some major major problems in the church right now. And how is that going to get fixed? Saints. We need saints. Amen. Anyone who's listening can be a saint. And the saints didn't run away. They didn't abandon the church in the midst of the troubles of their time. They became saints in the midst of the troubles of their time. And that's what we're going to do, too. St. Louis de Montfort said, and talking about the time that I believe we're living in, 
He said, we will see the greatest saints of all time, that uh, that they will tower, he said, over the other saints, most of the other saints, the way that the cedars of Lebanon tower over a shrub. So think of some of our saints and think, they're going to be shrubs compared to what God is going to be raising up. We're going to see some phenomenal things. And it's just, I'm pumped, as you can probably tell. <laughs> and so... So it's just it's going to be it's going to be great, you know, but but it's not going to be fun getting there. You know, and most Catholics don't don't even realize that Jesus actually commanded us to be saints in Matthew five forty eight in his Sermon on the Mount. You know, he said, "Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect." That right. if you think about that, that is the most profound statement there is, and it's not. You know, give it that old college try. It's command by the way it's worded. Exactly. Father, I really appreciate the things you said in this interview. Before we close, would you mind, please, giving uh, the Six-Pack Nation a blessing? Absolutely. Commending all of you to the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the intercession of St. Joseph, the protection of St. Michael, the guidance of your guardian angels, and the intercession of your patron saints. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and your families and remain forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Let, let me ask you, at some point in the future, would you mind coming back on the show? I'd be honored. Thank you very much, Father. Okay. Thank you, Joe. Keep up the good work. You bet you, Father. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, Father. Bye-bye. Thank you. Father James Altman, who will be back on the Cantankerous Catholic later this month, is a dynamo when speaking about the issues and problems in the church. Father Altier, on the other hand, speaks to the same things, but he always seems to draw Our Lady into the mix and draw out all of the best spiritual aspects. If you liked this interview with Father Altier and you want to hear him on the show again, go to the show notes at cantankerouscatholic.com and comment below the show notes to let me know. In fact, feel free to leave any comment you have in mind. Oh, and don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because reviews make it easier for other Catholics to discover the Cantankerous Catholic. And remember... Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. Do you have an apostolate you'd like other Catholics to learn about? Maybe you have an e-commerce business and you want to build sales while supporting a holy orthodox apostolate. Whatever you want to advertise, the Cantankerous Catholic is your portal to success. The Cantankerous Catholic isn't even a year into broadcasting its weekly shows, and we're already listened to in 16 countries, all 50 states, and 101 major cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. Our listener demographics are the most sought after for advertisers. The Cantankerous Catholic avatar is 53% men and 47% women ages 18 to 34. The show's average growth rate through 2019 was 24% per week, and our listeners are Orthodox Catholics who reject heterodox Catholic positions and political correctness. Relative to other broadcasts and online advertising, our rates are extremely cost-effective and inexpensive. You can advertise in each show's show notes, in the recorded episode itself, our weekly newsletter that announces each new episode, 
all of these media together or in any combination. So contact us today by filling out the form on the Sponsor Kit page at cantankerouscatholic.com or email Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, directly at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com to learn how you can begin driving traffic to whatever you want to promote while helping to support a worthy, orthodox, and hard-hitting apostolate. Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Catholic World Report. Dennis and Catherine Griffin are suing the state of New Hampshire after a tuition program refused to pay for Catholic school education for their grandson. The town of Croydon doesn't have its own public middle or high school, so it pays tuition for public or private schools in towns nearby. The Griffin family said the recent Supreme Court case recognized that excluding religious schools was a violation of their First Amendment rights. Let the fight begin! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to Catholic News Agency. Catholic leaders in the U.S. have welcomed the news that one of the world's biggest vaccine producers has decided to discontinue a polio vaccine derived from an abortion fetal cell line. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to the Daily Signal. American civil society is facing a serious domestic threat. Marriage is declining and family stability with it. Uh Uh-oh. We're in big trouble now. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick Number 2. Hats off to Catholic World Report. The Australian state of Queensland passed a law requiring priests to violate the seal of confession to report known or suspected sexual abuse of minors. Failure to violate the seal of confession in these situations will result in three years in prison. That just makes me mad! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 1 Hats off to Catholic News Agency. A man was drowning and prayed for help. God sent a floating tiki bar filled with priests and seminarians. (laughs) You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Sixpackers. My name is Mr. Scratch. Well, at least that's what I was called in Benet's The Devil and Daniel Webster. That pretender called me liar and murder, but I kind of like Mr. Scratch better. 
Anyway, he won't quit whining about it, but I've taken over Joe Sixpack's Catholic boot camp this week because I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for all you do. Let me explain. I've had a hard road to hold for the eons, but my greatest victory was when I managed to send my enemy to his death on the cross. Well, it was my victory, until he somehow managed to escape the grave and turn my victory into defeat. But I'm not easily discouraged, and what I've accomplished during the last century has most certainly been my greatest work. I have to thank you for it, because I've managed to convince you the pretender isn't even relevant today. After all, how do you think I've managed to create the current cultural climate anyway? When that pretender walked the earth, which belongs to me, not him, he founded the Catholic Church, which everyone called the way in those days. The pretender set up that ignorant fisherman and his meddlesome successors to speak for him when he went back to his silly kingdom, and with him out of the way, all of mankind became easy pickings for me. I've done a wonderful job of gaining billions of friends since the pretender left. My greatest feat was about 500 years ago when I split the pretender's church and came up with Protestantism. Oh, how I love reminding Luther of that every day. I managed to get eight million souls in almost one fell swoop then. That felt so good. My next truly great accomplishment was the post-World War II era. Yeah, the war was great, but where I really had my victory was when I was able to attack the traditional family unit in the post-war years of materialism. That allowed me to make marriage disposable, which led to an entire pro-death mentality. But it was always difficult for me to get to the culturally Catholic people until they got too comfortable in their land of plenty of materialistic ways, placing a far greater emphasis on things rather than the pretender. That was when I was able to use political correctness, radical feminism, the pill, drugs, homosexuality, and the free love ways of the 60s to wear you down. I also managed to use the turmoil of the 60s to make teachers in the Pretender's Church believe they were doing a great favor to children by teaching them more about petty garbage like love and equality instead of greater things the Pretender wanted them to know and believe. And you bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, I've accomplished a lot, and here's a list of things I want to thank you for in your aid to my cause. You rejected the pretender's authority that he established in his church, rightly opting instead for your own opinions over his goofy dogmas. Good job, and I thank you. You began taking that stupid mask for granted, and you managed to forget just what it's really all about. So you don't even care whether you attend every Sunday and so-called holy day like the pretender wants you to. Thank you. You stop believing that the pretender is really present in that cookie you're supposed to worship. I want to thank you for that, too. You bought into what I told you about what is really right and wrong. You've helped me make the wrong right and the right wrong, thus giving yourselves the sort of moral compass I want you to have. Again, thank you. 
You've discarded chastity in favor of doing what makes you feel good in the bedroom or anywhere else you can get away with it without detection. Thanks. Modesty? <laughs> I love the way you dress these days. The more flesh you expose, the more souls I get. I'm loving it. Thank you. And ladies, keep right on doing what you're doing. Pornography, masturbation, homosexuality, transgenderism, adultery, fornication. You've let me buy you for all eternity for nothing more than the price of lust. Oh, that's a big one. Thank you. I must admit failure when it comes to the slaughter of innocent babies. You still buy into the pretender's rhetoric that it's wrong. So I tricked you on that one. I managed to sell you instead on artificial contraception. You see, all chemical contraceptives are abortifacient, so you're helping me murder millions of babies every year without even realizing you're killing your own children, flushing them down the toilet like so much waste. Thank you! Using political correctness, I've managed to convince you that you're no better or worse than anyone else. So you commit many wonderful evils for me without a second thought. Some big, some little. Because of that, you receive the pretender every week in communion with those evils dripping from your soul. But you never bother to go to confession. I'm loving it. Thank you for solidifying my hold on you. I appreciate the way you show the pretender so much incredible disrespect by leaving the silly mask right after receiving communion. Not only is that disrespectful, but you managed to let me own a little bit more of you by not fulfilling that stupid Sunday obligation. I really appreciate your impatience to get out there, because it's one more mortal sin that allows me to own you. Thanks! One of the biggest favors you do for me is consistently being the deciding factor in the election of politicians who not only help me murder babies in the womb, but also help me to persecute those who still actually serve the pretender in more ways than just giving him lip service. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's see, what else do you do for me? Oh, yes. You decided it's judgmental to say it's wrong for people of the same sex to marry. You just make my job easier and easier. Your arrogance is what I most appreciate. You convince yourselves that because you've been Catholic all your lives or gone to Catholic school, that you know all there is to know about the pretender's church and his teachings. Praise me how I love you. Thanks. You Catholic husbands and dads are a great encouragement to me as well. You've abdicated your role as spiritual leaders in your families. Do you have any idea how much easier you make it for me to destroy the souls of your wives and children? <laughs> I couldn't ask for better allies than you. Thank you. Since you and I make such a great team in this world I've created in my own image and likeness, I want to ask you to do me a favor. I'll be forced next week to return the Catholic boot camp to Joe Sixpack, and he'll be talking about the things the pretender wants you to hear. And that stupid guy wearing the weird collar who expects to be called father, even though he's a celibate moron, will probably tell you to meet him in the confessional. Well, just ignore him. Don't pay the least bit of attention to what he says. 
I can't do the things I need to do if they win you back from me. And you know how good I make you feel when you do what I want you to do. So pay him no attention whatsoever. Just remember who loves you enough to make you feel good. I'll see you later in my realm. <laughs> Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Francis of Assisi. He said, Sanctify yourself and you will sanctify society. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. In the middle of the 19th century, the people of the Caucasus Mountains in South Russia were ruled by a very just sultan named Shlemil. He wanted to stop all the corruption and bribery among his people, so he made a law that whoever was convicted of bribery should be punished with 50 lashes of the whip in the public square. Much to the sultan's shock and sadness, the first one caught in bribery was his mother. For three days he struggled with himself about what to do. On the fourth day he appeared before the people and had his mother brought before them. He gave orders to two men to begin the whipping. Just as the first blow was about to fall, he suddenly pushed his mother aside and untied her. Then he ordered the two men to bind his hands and remove his shirt, telling the punishers to administer the fifty lashes to him. They did so, but most unwillingly. After the fifty lashes had been administered and the sultan's back was a bloody pulp, with a deathly pale face he turned to his people and said, Now you may go to your homes. The law has been satisfied. The blood of your sultan has flowed to make up for this crime. And from that day, bribery was never heard of again because the people never forgot their just ruler, Shlemil. Never forget what our redemption cost Jesus, who himself accepted the falling blows of God's just anger and took our punishment in our stead. He could say to his heavenly father, Accept these sinners as your children again, because the blood of your own son has flowed on Calvary to make up for their sins. Help your fellow Catholic six-packers.
They need to be listening to The Cantankerous Catholic, and you can help them find it better if you leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Leaving a review will make it easier for other Catholics to find The Cantankerous Catholic, because reviews cause the podcasting platforms to show it more often. And I thank you in advance for leaving a review. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.